0: Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly, and today on The Detail, we're starting with a quick quiz. Name a disabled politician, a disabled chief executive, or a disabled broadcaster. Yep, it's difficult, because either they don't exist, or there are very few of them.
1: When you look at other minorities, such as Māori, Pacifica, other disadvantaged groups, normally the sector is full of people with that characteristic leading things. But in the disability sector, it is not.
0: That's Jonathan Mosen, chief executive of Workbridge, the largest Kiwi-owned employment agency for disabled people. He's been blind since birth and he has a progressive hearing loss. He's been a broadcaster, run his own business and tried twice to get into Parliament and failed. But to underline his last point, here's what he says about last week's announcement of the new Ministry for Disabled People.
1: If you had an announcement that was being made by a Pākehā Minister of Māori Affairs in 2021 or a man who was Minister of Women's Affairs in 2021, it would be outrageous. The fact that we don't have disabled people who can be The Minister for Disability Issues is a hell of an indictment on the inclusion of disabled people in this country.
0: There are high hopes for the new ministry. Many say it's desperately needed for the one in four Kiwis who are disabled. That's more than a million people. After decades of tirelessly campaigning, people with disabilities are being recognised with their own ministry. The government has moved to establish a new agency and a separate Accessibility Governance Board. It will also introduce new legislation to improve access for disabled people, promising to prioritise disabled voices at all levels of decision making. This is going to signal the, the biggest transformation in the disability sector since the 1970s. So what are the issues, and can this new ministry fix them? Well, later in the podcast, we'll look at some pretty brutal numbers on employment. But basically, if you're disabled, getting a job is really tough, even in these times of very low unemployment. And if you do have a job, you're paid much less than your non-disabled colleague. The inequities don't stop there. But let's get to Jonathan Mosin, and just a warning – the lines are a bit crackly at first and then we fix it we've been in contact with each other by email and now we're we're talking on zoom how how do you go about you know reading your emails for a start
1: this raises a really interesting question of disclosure so if i hadn't mentioned to you that i was a totally blind person you wouldn't necessarily know. And that's because I have screen reading technology on my Windows computer. It's just a standard Windows device. And I also use an iPhone. And that either speaks what's on the screen or it displays in Braille what's on the screen. And when you think about it, you don't really look when you're typing. If you're a good touch typist, you don't look at the keyboard when you're typing. So I was taught to touch type. And that's how I communicate.
0: And for Zoom, is it pretty much the same way as I would set it up?
1: Zoom is 100% accessible. And yes, I would use a keyboard, whereas you would probably use a mouse. And so that's one of the really good things about the pandemic that luckily Zoom was the one that really took off. And the Zoom people have taken a lot of care to make sure that their app is 100% accessible to blind people like me who use a screen reader. And in fact, before I came to Workbridge, I was running my own consultancy company. And long before the pandemic, I wrote a book on how blind people can use Zoom. And when the pandemic took off, I just gave that away. I stopped selling it and gave it away to any blind person around the world who needed it. And that was really well received.
0: And the reason you and I are talking today is because your comms person at Workbridge contacted me after a podcast that the detail ran about the pay gap. And that podcast actually made no mention of the disability pay gap. And I guess that also ties in with the fact that there is a, what you call a disability employment crisis. I mean, is that, is that the problem, that it just didn't even come into my head?
1: I think so. I think disabled people are incredibly marginalised and invisible in New Zealand society. The way I look at this is that we're not really represented very much, or sometimes at all, in what I call the key institutions of change. How many disabled people do we have in Parliament? Well, none really, uh, who identify as disabled or as part of the disability community. We don't have many disabled chief executives like me. We don't have many disabled people involved at local government level. We have few disabled people involved in the media. So all of those key institutions of change, I'd add the public service as well, just don't have disabled people highly present. And so it's not surprising that when it comes to issues of pay equity, unemployment, all those important issues, we're just not thought about because we're not around the table.
0: Is the new ministry going to make a difference to this?
1: I think the new ministry is a really exciting development potentially and we've waited a very long time for it. I go back all the way to the Royal Commission on Social Policy, which I think was 1986 when the Longy Palmer government started that. And I remember earnestly writing submissions on that, and it turned into a five-volume doorstop in many ministerial offices. And then in the 1990s, we went through another discussion about where does disability belong? And we really got stuck with this medical model that disability was a health issue. So we've been campaigning about the need for a separate ministry for a very long time. But now the devil's in the detail. It's going to be really critical that disabled people run that ministry. There has to be a disabled chief executive. And whoever sets that vision is going to have a really difficult job because there are so many things that need to get done. All those things I talked about, having disabled people in those key change agent uh, organisations, is going to be essential. Things like the fact that we live in such a disabling society right now, when I walk around as a blind person, there, uh, there's not a lot of braille on buildings. Public transport often doesn't announce the name of a bus stop that you're arriving at. So there are these barriers that society impose on us that make us disabled, and they're fixable. But there is just so much to do, and that's going to be the challenge for this new ministry. Somebody who is a disabled person, a chief executive in that role, is going to have to sort out those priorities and make some progress.
0: Would that be you, Jonathan?
1: Gosh, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I'm sure there are a lot of people in the public service uh, who may be in in the private sector potentially who are disabled who could have a good crack at that. But I do think it's really important that whoever it is, they are a disabled person. There comes a time when we have to stop being the people that things are done to and for.
0: As a stark example of the way things are being done to and for disabled people, let's go back to that announcement of the new ministry by the Disabilities Issues Minister, Carmel Sepuloni, and Health Minister, Andrew Little. The new ministry will be responsible for driving better outcomes for all disabled people, leading cross-government strategic disability policy, delivering and transforming disability support services, and progressing disability system transformation.
1: A key focus will be ensuring disabled people continue to receive funded support during this time. It's also important disabled people and their families and whanau are a core part of the new system and their voices are embedded at all levels of decision-making. The fact that we don't have disabled people who can be the Minister for Disability Issues is a hell of an indictment on the inclusion of disabled people in this country. And that's not an insult or a slight on the ministers who made the disability ministry announcements because that's all there is and they're dedicated and they're committed and I salute them for what they've done.
0: I mean, why is it? Why don't we have more disabled chief executives? Why don't we have disabled politicians?
1: New Zealand's not a disability-confident society. So the biggest barrier that I have faced in my life isn't so much my blindness, it's other people's perceptions of my blindness So in my case, sight is such a dominant sense that when you have it, I completely understand why you become so dependent on it. And so employers often find it difficult to imagine. Gosh, you know, if he he can't see the screen, uh, how could he do this job? And they conclude erroneously that I can't. And you can apply this to any disability group you care to name. And I think one of the biggest barriers that we face is the rampant use of ableist language. And the reason why that's important is because it reinforces negative stereotypes about disabled people so that when an employer gets the chance to employ a disabled person, they've been bombarded with a lifetime of ableist language. Somebody might say that they're blind about a subject, meaning that they're ignorant about it. Mm. So blindness becomes associated in someone's psyche, With the term ignorance. To be essentially blindsided by these kind of announcements. That's not the way that we should be making decisions in this country. People talking about turning a deaf ear. Unfortunately, our requests have fallen on deaf ears. Basically meaning you're ignoring it. So suddenly deafness becomes a negative. A crippling
0: economic and mental health impact. The rest of the country barely into level three.
1: Day in, day out, all over the media, you hear these negative terms used to denigrate disabled people, and it's got to be reflected in the way that people respond to disability.
0: The phrase that you used, New Zealand isn't...
1: Disability confident.
0: Why isn't New Zealand disability confident?
1: People don't believe in us. You have to set up an infrastructure that says we are going to invest in the capacity building of disabled people and that does require some affirmative action. If the government were to say, when it comes to supporting disabled people, we will give priority to organisations that walk the talk and make sure that disabled people are employed at senior levels of the organisation, well, that would be a pretty compelling signal from the government that many agencies where disabled people are still lacking around their senior leadership tables need to lift their game. I'm really proud that At Workbridge, the organisation of which I'm chief executive, our chair, our council president and I are all disabled. That is extremely rare. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't applaud and welcome allies into our midst, but we should have a lot more disabled people in leadership positions than we currently do. So I think the way to crack this is some affirmative action scholarships to get disabled people into those institutions of change, into the media, into the public service, into politics. You know, I think we do have to ask the really tough question of all of the political parties. Why have they not put disabled people in truly winnable positions on party lists? A plague on all of their houses for that.
0: To those job numbers now... The latest STATS NZ figures show that only 42.5% of working-age disabled people have jobs, compared with 79% of non-disabled working-age people. The disabled unemployment rate has increased during COVID against the trend. And there's a serious pay gap. The median weekly income for disabled people is $114
1: less. And you wonder why I call it an employment crisis. If it was any other minority with that kind of unemployment rate, it would be the lead story on Morning Report until it was addressed seriously. But we crack away at it. You know, we we work on it from both sides of the equation. On the one side, we work with employers and just encourage them because employers are understandably risk averse especially right now and because of lack of information some do perceive hiring a disabled person as a risk and so we talk them through that we seek to make them more disability confident we also support them if they choose to hire a disabled person we're there for them to hopefully make sure that the partnership works that the match is a success and on the other side of the coin um, what we sell to some degree, if you like, is belief because so many disabled people have been told they can't right from when they're younger. You know, One of the things I think is sadly lacking in New Zealand is access to adult disabled mentors for disabled teenagers. When you're a disabled person and you're perceived as different, that really matters to teenagers. So it's vital that at that very early stage... Someone gets in there, into the school system, and believes in those kids, tells them that there are things that they can do that they shouldn't be held back by what disables them, but encouraged by what they can contribute to society. So we deal with it from that side. We're not funded to go into the school system at this point, but we do a lot of this belief stuff, job readiness, really encouraging people to believe in themselves.
0: And not only that that when people do have a job, the amount that they earn is more than $100 less. So even when people get jobs, they are discriminated against.
1: Yes, and I don't know precisely what we attribute that to. Maybe part of it is the fact that disabled people tend to end up in not-for-profit industries who can pay less. I don't know. Minister for Disability Issues, Carmel Sepuloni,
0: says new laws will make sure those with disabilities don't miss out. The burden of responsibility for overcoming participation barriers too
1: often falls unevenly on individual disabled persons and their whanau.
0: What do you think is the priority for this new ministry?
1: I think the priority is to have... New Zealanders understand that disability isn't a medical issue. There are medical requirements for some people with impairments, for sure. Nor is disability a welfare issue. We're not always looking for handouts. What we're looking for is an investment in our ability to contribute in whatever way we want and whatever way we can. I mean, there are lots of really thorny questions, like the way that people disabled as a result of accident are treated differently from those who are congenitally disabled. But one thing I would say to illustrate this point, you and I have been using different terminology throughout this whole discussion. So you've been talking about people with disabilities and I've been talking about disabled people. And that may sound pretty airy-fairy and nebulous, but to me it's really important because to me... The term people with disabilities is, frankly, victim-blaming. We are made disabled by society's choices. And I'll give you an example of this that hopefully will resonate with you, even though it's a bit of a weird example. Let's say that it's 2 o'clock in the morning and all the streetlights are out in Wellington and it's completely pitch black and you and I have to go into my office, which is in quite a large building on the third floor, Which one of us would be the disabled person at that particular point? It wouldn't be me. Mm. I'd be able to get to my office without any problem whatsoever at two in the morning with the streetlights out in the pitch black. You would be relying on me. And the reason for that is that society has disabled you by turning off the streetlights and making it pitch black and meaning that you can't depend on the techniques that you use to get around so when we talk about people with disabilities, we're blaming the wrong people. If we keep talking about disabled people, it puts the responsibility fair and square on society to actually create a less disabling society.
0: Gosh, I'm sorry I've been using that phrase because I actually...
1: No, I mean, no, it's fine. I, was... I mean, they're interchangeable. <laughs> oh, okay. um, And some people don't agree with my, my, my position on this either.
0: Um. What do you think about the way the media covers issues and stories about disabled people?
1: (laughs) It really frustrates me. Not everybody agrees with me about this either, but I actually find it really upsetting that a lot of the time when I listen to news in the morning, I'm repeatedly insulted as a disabled person and denigrated as a disabled person before I've even left the house there aren't disabled people in the media calling out the producers, the people who write these scripts, the people who are on air even, from using these ableist ableist terms. I, I think one of the problems is that because there are so few people in the media who actually experience disability on a daily basis, they don't know how to cover the stories that interest us. And when there might be a disability angle... They just don't think of it. I'm positive about the future, and I'm, I'm sure that we, you know. So yeah, and 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 we're talking, and that's that's very rare. You know, the fact that you and I are having this prolonged discussion about these issues, um, it, it doesn't happen often enough.
0: You know, Jonathan, from a very early age, you were pretty outspoken from what I can see from, <laughs> from, your, <laughs> yeah. um, from reading about your bio on your own website but it seems to me that your disabilities being blind and partially deaf I don't even know if I'm saying this correctly um, No, that's
1: fine, yep
0: uh, ha- have got in the way of your ambitions but has it stopped
1: you? No, I don't think so. I'm a tenacious person, and I realise that I've been very fortunate. I've been able to plough on, respond pretty assertively if I feel like I've been presented with a barrier, but it shouldn't have to be that way. Uh, It should be that every disabled person is able to contribute in whatever way they choose without having to put on the hard hat and constantly fight the battles. And when there is a human being who wants so much to give and contribute and be a part of society, and they're being prevented from doing so through something that's fundamentally fixable, we've got work to do as a society.
0: That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is public interest journalism funded by NZ On Air and is a joint newsroom RNZ production. You can download us free to your mobile phone every day on any podcast platform. Alexia Russell produced this episode. Adrian Holley engineered it. And thanks to Jonathan Moson, Mā te